welcome to more to come. PW Comic World's weekly podcast on graphic novel and comics publishing, recorded at the PW offices in New York City, or rather at various locations <laughs> uh, today. Uh, we're at remote locations. I'm Calvin Reed, Senior News Editor of Publishers Weekly and Co-Editor of PW Comics World. Check us out online at publishersweekly.com slash comics. And I'm Heidi McDonald. I'm the Comics Reviews Editor for Publishers Weekly and the Editor-in-Chief of the beat at comicsbeat.com and uh check us out on twitter at at pw comics world and i'm kate fitzsimmons i'm the podcast producer and you can find us online on tumblr at pwcomicsworld.tumblr.com and don't forget you can subscribe to more to come on itunes and on facebook we're at facebook.com slash pw comics world all right uh this week on more to come big sales at the big two the march Trilogy sweeps the bestseller list. Um, a plea from a mangaka in Japan for new book sales. The talk around Suicide Squad, rumors and box office news, and um, the news brief. So, um, uh, uh, hey, welcome to our summer edition. Yes, <laughs> it's hard for us to keep our minds on talking about comics. I know Calvin was on vacation. I am technically on vacation, but as always, it's a working vacation because I give up and make every sacrifice for you, my dear listeners, my dear readers. I will never sacri- you know, put you behind my own personal needs. There you go. It's, it's, it's not a job. It's a calling, folks. It is. Yeah. It is. <laughs> But you know, and you know what's calling us is an interview in ICV2 uh, with David Gabriel. Uh, I think he's a VP of Book Trade Sales at Marvel, and it's a as usual uh, with Milton. Uh, it's an excellent interview, uh, and really, uh, Marvel. Uh, all things seem well at Marvel these days. Well, it is, and uh, David's actual title is the Senior VP Print Sales and Marketing. He's definitely Great. one Thanks. of the big kahunas of the comics industry, and he doesn't do very many interviews. He's a uh, you know, he kind of lets his sales speak for himself, and he, mm. and as this interview shows, he's not averse to giving himself a little pat on the back, uh, <laughs> because Marvel has been the number one company for probably 95, uh, 90 to 95 percent of the time, at least in the direct sales market. Um, but I guess what's really interesting about this interview is uh, uh, David lets a lot of a lot of uh, news slip about. Um, you know, mass market efforts and backlist mm-hmm. and, yeah. and, and, um, uh, and the book trade and the book uh, trade. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And scholastic book fairs and Disney stores and holy cow. Uh, and, uh, market, uh, the, rather the consumer, uh, kind of a, a description of the consumer is actually something we've talked about on this show quite a bit. Yes. Uh, the gender base, uh, of their fan base. Yes. Um, so there's very interesting, you know, just to start off, he starts talking about graphic novel sales. Up twenty percent, even forty percent in uh, in at, at some in some areas. He wasn't specific about that. Yeah, and uh, very, very similar to what DC was talking uh, about back when we had SDC. It, that yes. the book channel was huge. And interestingly, now we've talked about we've alluded to this in the past, uh, and uh, you know Marvel's had a lot of uh, impediments to their book trade sales because they have long had a lot of. Uh, strict, uh, restrictions put on them by their former uh, owner and now CEO Isaac Perlmutter, who was very cheap. So they were never allowed to print a lot of uh, inventory. Like, uh, so this is what I've heard over and over and over again. And like, holding inventory really mits- mitigates against having a backlist because the whole idea is you print up a whole bunch of books that people want, and then 
when they want to buy them, you sell them out of your inventory. So you don't have to print to order. Uh, and you know what I love about And you can fill orders quicker. Yeah. Right, exactly. But Marvel hasn't been able to do that. And I love that David actually addresses this in a mm. veil. Like if you're a Kremlinologist like, like we are, you got this right away. Where he says that Deadpool has been selling incredibly well, which it has. And mm -hmm. uh, he says, we've had, I uh, quote it, we've just had gigantic hits. We actually, on a monthly basis, get called by the finance guys to question the gigantic <laughs> print runs that we're having, which is great. So, I, I, you know, that's a direct call out to all of that. But, but you know, props to David and props to Dan Buckley, uh, the uh, publisher at Marvel, because, uh, you, you know, they're not stupid. And they know that having a backlist of Marvel's perennials is a good idea. Absolutely. And really, it just... I mean, their market and their popularity in the marketplace, you know, they need to be in the book trade and they, they need to be paying close attention to the book trade. And apparently they are. Right. Apparently BNN uh, and Amazon are their, are some of their top um, selling channels. Mm -hmm. And I think uh, probably a lot of this has to do with them going with Hachette for their distribution. That happened quite yeah. a few years mm -hmm. ago. But obviously mm -hmm. it's been a profitable um uh, you know, a profitable partnership. Yeah. Uh, but, but one other the note: they're also at the Scholastic Book Fairs, which yes. is a huge, huge seller of book product. So, just to mention that, go on. Well, I think that was that was what I was just about to bring up. Oh, oh was very that, that that they talk about all of these other channels? Uh, you know, David mentions all these other channels, and a lot of uh, you know my readers on the beat. I, I put up some excerpts of this interview and. Uh, you know, he says that their their survey shows that maybe their readers are forty percent female. And you know, in the comments, I yeah. get this pushback. Mm -hmm. Oh, how can that be? It's impossible. Why did you make Thor a woman? It's just you know, ludicrous caveman stuff. No statistics from <laughs> yeah. the actual company. It can't I know. be true. I know it can't be true. Yeah. It can't. Be this true. is data. This is, is data, not yeah. opinions. Yeah. But it's also like people are like, oh, why are they publishing Unbeatable Squirrel Girl? Why are they publishing Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur? Why are they publishing all these they books? They sell. But not only do they sell, but he, these books are selling into Scholastic Book Fairs. Now, mm -hmm. this is something I heard. I think I heard it at TCAF about yeah. uh, Squirrel Girl. But, um, you know, this means uh, six figures of units. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and yeah. Squirrel Girl is is exactly the kind of thing that Marvel should be tapping into sales-wise. It is a genuinely all-ages comic. When they say all-ages, usually it's a kid comic. Um, but Squirrel Girl is the kind of comic that, like, adults are loving, kids are loving. Like, yeah, 12-year-old me would have loved Squirrel Girl just as much. So, A-plus, Marvel. Yeah. I can totally see why it sells. And, it's, you know, yeah. Marvel's come in for a lot of lumps of late of over a lot of things. But they are producing material that is suitable for this market. And, uh, you know, they're also selling in mass good market. good material. And, yeah, exactly. They're selling in mass market. Um, they are also in Disney stores. Mm. Yeah. And um, so, you know, this is, uh, this is all good. This is all smart stuff. Uh, and, uh, and actually, even on the uh, uh, one other thing that, that uh, David mentioned in the interview, which I thought was pretty interesting, they're seeing a spike of sales in Europe as well. I mean, uh, um, and, and a, ge a geographical area, usually fairly indifferent to superhero comics. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. Well, so, I think maybe the movies have been good at spreading yeah. the love of Marvel to parts of the world that previously had not had it. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. I was just about to say, if you have the world's most successful movie franchise, which is what Marvel uh, Universe is since they were bought by Disney. 
bigger than Star Wars, uh, and you can't sell books based on these properties, uh, you would have a problem. And obviously, <laughs> Marvel isn't that incompetent. You know, one of the funniest things, though, is that Gabriel does lash out a bit at some tormentors. Uh, and I'm sure, you know, on the beat uh, and elsewhere, there have been, whenever anyone talks about Marvel, it really is like, oh, we're so worried about them. Uh, you know, Marvel sales are collapsing. They're putting out too many number ones. And, you know, there's definitely some issues with Marvel, the direct sales market. Uh, and, you know, people are right to be concerned about this because Marvel and DC are the cornerstones, the direct sales market. And mm. when we saw DC falter last year, guess what? That led to a lot of problems for everyone, uh, as we'll mm -hmm. talk about in our next segment. But guess what? You know, Marvel's still selling an awful lot of books, and I'm pretty sure that uh, they're profitable on some level. Oh. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you don't want to have a losing sales strategy anywhere in any of your divisions, but Marvel as a whole is doing fine. <laughs> doing fine. Yeah, there's nothing but good news coming out of this program yes. today. Well, you know, um, listen, it's still, I'll, I'll say this, bear scrutiny. It's still early, right? <laughs> it's still early, and you know what, this is, Mar this is uh, you know, biased. I mean, this is coming from one source. We don't really have any backups for any of this stuff, but, uh, you know, it still bears a little bit of scrutiny. And uh, so, you know, especially as far as the direct sales market goes and periodical sales. Periodical sales... Now, June was the biggest month in 20 years uh, because of uh, rebirth and civil war and all that stuff. And you know what? Let's segue into talking about D.C. Because guess what? D.C. Yeah. is also doing fine. Uh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. They're they're kicking it. Well, I mean, they talked about this at the uh, at the uh, D.C. breakfast at San Diego. I mean, how well they were doing, how well the book trade was doing, uh, how well uh, the killing joke is doing. Right. So. Um, but in. Uh, you know, the, the sales figures for July came out, and DC was on top for the first time in probably mm. three years. Like, ever since DC uh, New 52 came out, they have been the number one company a few times. It's happened, but not mm -hmm. lately. Not, uh, they've been trailing mm. Marvel by 12, 14 percentage points. So to have them on top uh, with eight of the top ten books in the direct sales market was uh, good news for DC. Well, I have an anecdotal thing that's backing this up, anecdotally. Uh, my roommate, who has not bought Wonder Woman comics for, like, years and years and years, uh, hardly any at all since the Taco Wiz debacle, <laughs> is now subscribed to to uh, Wonder Woman Rebirth yeah, because she loves it. Yeah. Uh, well, that is probably the marquee book from the, the relaunch, I have to be honest. But, uh, you know, that's a great well, one no to be. that's no bad thing. It's a that's great book. That's great. That's good. Yeah. I'm and, still catching up. <laughs> and I'm cool. I'm enjoying uh, their uh, detective comics run currently mm -hmm. coming out now because of yes, and Batman All Star good. number one came out this week, which is kind of this uh, uh, Scott Snyder showcase book where he works with different artists on kind of standalone oh, right. yeah. stories. Uh, with uh, this time it's JRJR, and um, you know that's a pretty good looking book and got some really good reviews. And so you know what. Uh, I mean, we've had definitely some of, uh, you know, last time Calvin and I sat down to read DC Comics, and Calvin and I are not DC experts or, uh, you know, lorists, uh, archival archival um, scholars. We're not DC <laughs> archival scholars. Uh, and we were perhaps not as excited about the books as some other people, but for those who are archival scholars, yeah. most of them seem to be getting something out of this. Yeah, well, yeah and I think once the really super awkward on-ramp for some of the comics was over, then um, 
they're much more readable by the non-archival scholar, but damn, those on-ramps were awkward. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. We, uh, yes, you can, you can refer back to a, one of our earlier podcasts, but I, I, you know, I was, I was excited about the excitement around it. And I, and I, think there, <laughs> I was excited there, by the excitement. Yeah, you know, what can I say? But I, I, and I think there were a couple of books I was interested in. And I think the Superman one, I think it was one that Kate actually didn't like, but I kind of uh, got into it a little bit more, but, but yeah. And I intend to read more of the rebirth, um, uh, the whole rebirth line. Is- uh, I'm going to say something that's a spoiler. So oh. people who don't want to be spoiled for anything Superman related, please skip ahead 30 seconds or a minute, a minute, skip ahead a minute. Um, so not only have they killed off uh, DC new 52 Superman, but in the Superwoman comic, they have just killed off new 52 Lois Lane. Oh, yeah, yeah. That right. looks like an interesting but, development. But isn't there extra? But there's bonus. Well, there's a bonus Superman and a bo- right. bonus oh, okay. Lois, so, right? So bonus Superman and Lois are the pre-New 52 ones who are married to each other and not jerks. <laughs> and so, so now so, they're back. So, you know, because, again. It's uh, all clear as mud. Just, uh, <laughs> well, there, it's the, the uh, version of them that's been around for 20 years is back. Okay. okay, so let me... Let and the me, others had heroic deaths. As as a non-DC uh, archival scholar, uh, does this mean that Superman and Wonder Woman were never doing it? It means that Superman... This Superman and Wonder Woman were never doing it. So, like, right. Wonder so Woman Superman remembers all of it. About, it really oh, happened. Oh, Wonder Woman. It happened to Wonder Woman. I see, I see. Mm, well, that it, could be interesting. Not, but basically, Wonder Woman... This Wonder Woman, uh, the guy she was dating... He died. Like, it's not like he was never there. <laughs> the it's Superman. Like wait, let's be straight. The Superman she was dating. The was Superman died, she was dating is so dead. Is gone. So she she's dead. Have some PTSD. Okay. So she this. remembers it. She's grieving him. He's uh-huh. dead. There's okay. still someone running around called Superman, but it's not the person she dated. I would love to see <laughs> a writer like Jonathan Hickman or Grant Morrison write the story because it seems to call for one of their skills. But anyway, yeah, yeah. well, you know, uh, hey, well, the guy yeah. writing Wonder Woman now is pretty good. So, yes, that's yeah, true. Well, Greg Rucka, that's true. Yeah, that's true too. Uh, well, it's a crazy world, people. Yeah, <laughs> that's is. why but we write know, about this stuff. And listen, none of this means like we definitely hit a rough patch. To use Milton Greep's famous uh, phrase from his State of the Industry report last year at New York Comic Con. Are we out of the rough patch? Uh, kind of. You know, graphic novel sales are definitely staying strong. And speaking yeah. of which, this year's dynamic bestseller uh, smash hit is, of all things, uh, the third volume of the March trilogy. And oh, it's yes. bringing all yes. the other volumes of the March trilogy, which we're doing just fine, yeah. up with it. Yeah, all three of them uh, in the top, what, ten bestsellers on most of the list I've looked at? Yes. Yeah, well, like, they we're all- not talking just bestsellers for comics yeah 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 Yeah, there was one magical moment when on the amazon bestseller list the number one book was of course the new harry potter uh and you know play play script book uh and then it was march the march trilogies march volume one march volume three march volume two uh Mm -hmm. which is and then there was a another book that that it was the constitution and then it was uh Gary Trudeau's book of Doonesbury comics about Donald Trump. Those were the top six bestsellers on Amazon. Uh, it's a pretty magical moment, actually. <laughs> hey, hey, you know, really be, you know, time. if be I alive. may, 
just for a moment, I just wanted to circle back for a second uh, to uh, to DC, only because I really found it interesting. One of the things that uh, in that Milton Greep interview on ICV2.com, that um, uh, I, I believe it was uh, Jim Lee talked about the importance, and I just think this is important in terms, particularly in terms of the direct. Uh, trade, how those these rebirth issues are fully returnable, mm-hmm. and um, and and I found it interesting because Lee was talking very often just the way book publishers do talk about uh, when they're talking about the general book trade. Do we have enough copies in there? Uh, we we want, in fact, a certain number of returns because that means that knows that people are getting to the books. He was a little concerned, maybe perhaps that that retailers weren't ordering enough of the books. See, I just think that this is a key moment because I think these kinds of things would go on in the book trade all the time. Mm -hmm. They're a little bit different in the direct market, although the direct market has been introducing um, fully returnable issues, you know, to some extent, and weren't selected uh, stuff. Anyway, I just think this is a key element, and it also shows the mentality of looking at how you use uh, the returns to gauge your market. Well, you know what? Uh, talking about DC, there's actually kind of a. I, I believe we talked about this last time, but you know there was also a shake up, a shake up in DC sales team. Um, I think we mentioned this last time. You know, John Cunningham is is running the whole show now, yes. and a couple yes. people who uh, weren't as Good point. weren't as key to the success of the program, perhaps. Uh, have left. Uh, among them, Derek Madalina, who was formerly in charge of it. And uh, as I said, I think uh, when I wrote about it, he, he was there a couple years and he was never really an impact player. So uh, DC has taken some very strong steps to continue this. And, you know, returnability, Calvin? Absolutely. You know, in the direct yeah. sales market, I mean, th- you know, this is nothing new. I mean, a lot of uh, initiatives have been returnable. And Yes. Uh, but it's, it's, it's pretty necessary to to get retailers to take a flyer on this and, uh, you know, it takes are, some of the risk it, it off does. of the retailer and the returns are low. You know, the returns are yes. very low. I mean, it's very rare for a retailer to sit down and decide to ship back a whole bunch of comics. You know, mm-hmm. it, it doesn't really happen that much. So, you know, it's one of those kind of tricks of the trade that they have to have to, to get, uh, to get people to take uh, a little bit of a risk. Yes. And to try new things. And yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but no, that's that's absolutely right. Um, to to circle that. But you know, not to interrupt, but good. Also, that obviously the March uh, trilogy that we were just talking about uh, that's a key because that's really kind of a key best selling. But besides just being a, an absolutely heroic work, it really is. And uh, you know, the press rollout for this was insane. Uh, you know, John Lewis, the author, mm. uh, along with his team. Uh, Andrew Iden and uh, Nate, artist Nate Powell. They were on the Rachel Maddow show. Yes. Um, John Lewis Daily was, show. was on the Daily Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were on Fox Radio. I mean, they've been everywhere. And, um, and I have to say that, you know, their appearance on the Rachel Maddow show, I think is one of the best segments on comics I've ever seen on a mainstream TV show. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they had animated sequences. They showed the comics themselves very carefully and lovingly. Uh, they had a great interview with all of the creators. I mean, they really took the time to show off this book series. Yeah, they did. Yeah. And Kate, they I'm sorry. It so well that they ran out of paper. Literally. Yes. Oh, yes, that's <laughs> right. Yes, that's that was right. the other deal. That's right. It's, it's, yeah, the printer has literally run out of paper to print copies of the March trilogy. <laughs> and, uh, you know, big props to uh, Top Shelf. Uh, they originally put this out. 
Um, big chops, big props to IDW, who uh, yeah. you know bought Top uh, Shelf and has continued with a successful campaign. You know, big props to Chris Staros and Lee Walton. They yes. know that they've they worked really hard and and uh, you know and they put together. Uh, I think we've talked about this before, but with the March trilogy, what really sets it apart from just another historical comic based on the book by is that the creators really brought a lot of passion to it. And Nate Powell mm. is an all-star. He, his work on this yes, is extraordinary. Yes. And, of course, John Lewis is a great American. <laughs> he is. He is a great American. Yes, definitely. And he was there. Yes, he yes, was absolutely. There. And he, yes. you know, having him out and stumping for this is, is, is obviously oh, the, it's the thin amazing. end of the wedge. But, but that said, I, I, I think, you know what, there's been a lot of comics that came out about heroes. You know, I mean, this is not uncommon. And sometimes... They're usually not by the heroes. Well, they're usually not by the heroes, but they're also not as well done as this is. You no. know, and I yeah. really want well, to give props... Book. Yes, it's and that's what book. I really want to give yes. March cro- credit for. If it, if it hadn't been as well done as it is, it wouldn't be getting all this attention. Yes. The story of the life of John Lewis, and in that regard, also... The history of the civil rights movement. Yes, so, exactly, yeah. and timely. Go ahead and get your <laughs> copy. Timely. So yeah. So uh, manga sales in Japan. Manga sales in Japan. Well, sometimes they don't always benefit the creator. In that <laughs> uh, the manga culture in Japan, yes, they sell manga, but also um, they rent manga. But also they have manga cafes where they don't keep track of who reads what. You just come in, eat something, read manga. And so, um, the creator of Gantz, uh, which is a, a huge manga, um, basically went online onto his Twitter and did a plea to everyone to please, please buy his book new. Because although his manga is a hit, he is not getting as much money as maybe he could or maybe he needs because people are buying it all used. He says, quote unquote, this might shatter some kids' illusions, but no manga creators can keep producing comics if people are just going to read through them at the store or buy them from Yahoo auctions. Kids, this isn't a library. Uh, well, you know, creators just can't well, do it. You know, it's the truth. I mean, you know, people, you got to buy books out here. That's how. That's what makes this whole giant machine work. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, you know, there is... It's a, just interesting. It is, this is, it he's is, a big author. It's it, not like some yeah. little thing. I mean... But there's a lot of idiosyncrasies to the Japanese market, obviously. And I, I guess my understanding is they don't get royalties when the books are read in a manga cafe. Yeah. Well, and yeah, a lot of people read comics in their library. cafes. Yeah, because yeah. these cafes, as I understand it, have thousands of volumes. Yeah, because they, well, you they do get royalties when manga are rented individually. They don't get royalties if they're read in a manga cafe because it's it's like a library. They mm. don't. Yeah. Right. Yeah, there's no individual payback for number of reads. Well, obviously well, well. there's concern. Uh, you know, for the you know sales are well, you know sales are good. But there's always concern from some quarters that they're not as good as they could be. Well, actually, well, yeah, guess, and also um, part of it is that the manga industry, um, manga creators don't get the kind of royalties or the kind of, of money, frankly, that comic creators even get in the United States usually. 
Mm. Um, they're they're kept hungry, basically. Mm. They work very hard and they don't get a lot of money. Well, you know, I admit that's interesting. That's something I think we should maybe take a look at further in the future because I actually don't know too much about the royalty structure uh, in the Japanese publishing industry. So I I'll, don't know that much detail, but I'll I do know that that uh, Japanese uh, comic creators are, unless they manage to get really good licensing for like spin-off products or movies or things mm-hmm. are notoriously poor. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because I know, I mean, the the top top stars in manga in Japan are are like are they're certainly treated like rock stars. I don't know if they're paid like rock stars. Um Well, I think so that's, that's something we'll have to look into further. Yeah. They may get paid better once their things are made into mm-hmm. 40 million tchotchkes in a movie. That may be the case. But yeah. uh other than that, Man, we should also remember that the manga market in Japan, even though it's a behemoth, uh, it has been kind of flat and down over the last few years. Um, in fact, I think that's one reason why we're seeing um, them paying a little more attention to the U.S. market, where which is all growth now after its own period of instability right. around you know mm-hmm. 2007 yeah. to 2011 or so, and we're on a growth path back in North America. So, um, you know, you see there's more licensing, there's more digital access. So everything has, has gotten better mm-hmm. on the uh, North American side, including sales. Well, yeah. you know uh, what? Uh, we saw this with Euro Comics as well. And it used to be that the Japanese market and the European comics market uh, looked down their noses at America. And now they're like, you know what? Uh, let's invade those markets yeah. because these <laughs> yeah, readers so are speak. awesome. Yeah, uh, there's a, and there's you know, a Roman <laughs> saying that says, uh, money does not smell. Well, you know, yeah, it's true. Well, you know, speaking of unstable, uh, there is a a (laughs) heroine of comics, the number one comics uh, girl, the it girl of comics, has got to be our Harley Quinn, and uh, suicide movie opened a few weeks ago. Now, I think I'm the only one who saw it. Have you guys seen it? Yeah, Yeah, I haven't seen it yet, but I'm going to try and see it this weekend. Yeah, me too. Wow. Well, you two are the only ones. I want to see it. Because, you know, like like many a DC superhero movie, it opened huge. It was the number one movie with a record-setting August uh, box office. It beat the record set by Guardians of the Galaxy a few years ago. Monster hit. And then had like this massive 60% drop-off. 67% drop. 67%. Which we analyzed this with uh, Batman v Superman uh, is usually the kind of pattern one sees with a sequel, but not necessarily with a first-run movie. So, mm-hmm. interestingly, uh, you know, I wrote a review of this on The Beat, so you can see my thoughts on Suicide Squad there. Uh, yeah. ob- obviously, they got the core audience very excited about it uh, with the great cast, with Carly Quinn, with the Joker, got him to yeah. come out, and then the film betrayed a lot of cooks with a lot of different goals and was not that good a movie. I'll say this. Wasn't as bad as everyone's saying either. I mean, this is not like a battle battleship Earth, battlefield Earth type movie. I mean, it's awkward, but it's got Will Smith in it. Uh, it's got. And how is Harley Quinn? Well, you know, I'm not really a big Harley Quinn fan. Uh, yeah. okay. You know, I no, mean, uh, so I, I'm not the one. But I'll say this: Margot Robbie is probably the best Harley Quinn there could possibly be. You yeah. know, yeah. Um, yeah. I wish they would. You know, focus on her butt less than a, uh, a beach volleyball player, but uh, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, it, and, a continuing issue. And- I am curious. I am curious though. I mean, um, uh, the 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 movie has fallen off really fast. Reviewers really do seem to hate it, but it does seem to have a hardcore group of fans that seem to really be into it. Am I wrong? That's correct. They are hardcore, but it's interesting. They're the. There are a lot of fans who watched the movie and didn't like it, but the ones mm. who liked the movie are now alleging 
this is huge. They've started like petitions that are enormous and everything. They are alleging that there is a secret evil conspiracy <laughs> of of movie reviewers being secretly paid off by Disney to scuttle the DC film franchise and most especially Suicide Squad. Don't, it's don't all you love our people? An don't evil you love, conspiracy. Don't you love our people? Well, <laughs> so they started a petition to close Rotten Tomatoes because you're totally going to sh- shut down a multi-million dollar site just because someone wrote a petition. Yeah. Well, you know, only a few hundred people signed this petition. Although a few hundred people signed this petition. Another a few hundred people signed this petition. Another thing yeah. that happened that was going around uh, last week was uh, an alleged letter by a disgruntled ex-Warner Brothers employee. Uh, it was published on a site called Pajiba, which I don't even know what, I've heard of it, but I don't know what their their provenance is. But uh, this letter went on and on about how uh, Kevin Sujahara was failing, the movies coming out from Warner Brothers were awful, and, and the, the writer who used a female pseudonym was especially incensed by uh, she she said she hated she 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 got ready to write this letter when Man of Steel came out, uh, but then she put it away until Suicide Squad came out. And it was so awful. She had to send this letter. It's like you know when when donut makers do as badly as Kevin Sujahara do, they get fired. But why does he still have a job? Why does Zack Snyder still have a job? And by the way, Wonder Woman's going to be a mess too. Uh, you know, I everybody and everybody linked to this and like, wow, tell it like it is. And, you know, I think there was a lot of people who are like the idea of uh, an ex-employee really letting the head of the company have it. It's, of course, very appealing to almost everyone out there. I mean, it's certainly everybody I, on the Internet. Yeah, yeah. certainly <laughs> everyone on the Internet. And, you know, I when I first read this letter, I was a little bit unimpressed by it. And I saw a couple of uh, movie sites writers also dissing it a little or questioning it a little bit uh you know it was the the always controversial devon pharisee who suggested you know what was the job this person had because you know they could have just been working at a uh in the the, mailroom the mailroom or you know what i think someone in the mailroom might have had a little more insight it's more like somebody who's working in the commissary i mean honestly uh, this I'm sure this person did work at Warner Brothers. They certainly weren't privy to any inside information. And the, the whole dissing of rumors about Wonder Woman actually, you know, just a, it was a fanboy. I think it was, or a fangirl, fanboy, fangirl, just struck me as a typical kind of DC fanboy kind of reaction that well, was dressed know, up DC, with a few insider details. Well, you know, I mean... <laughs> Why not both? It could very well be yeah. a fangirl or fanboy who worked in the commissary and had a lot of feelings. Yes, I agree. Well, you know, I mean, I didn't read see the letter, but just hearing you describe it, it doesn't sound that different from the Hollywood Reporter's account of what went on behind the scenes there. Well, Hollywood Reporter's I mean, account was way more detailed. Yeah, but it's just like it. I mean, look, the, the making of this movie, it looks like it was just a a, a shitstorm, yeah, well, studio panic. Um, you know, I mean, you know, but, directors avoiding it. I mean, I, I mean, it's just, it's just a mess. I mean, the, I don't know the what Hollywood to say about Reporter's these films. take on it makes it sound like messy as this version is. The original version was even messier because yeah. they gave uh, our like almost no time to write the film. Yeah. Well, the original version of Suicide Squad was more Snyderian in in takes. Uh, mm. um, you know, but, uh, it, and and uh, but but um, but but by these accounts, not only was it Snyderian 
which I mean, that's one thing, but it was also uh, hastily written and not very good. Right. So, you know, this messy as it is may actually be an artistic improvement. Yes. And I, you know, the bottom line is this goes back to uh, what we talked about. It, this happened after, after Batman v Superman got dissed so much, you know, they went and they reshuffled all the deck chairs and they, you mm. know, they put a whole new division together called DC Films that was run by uh, John Berg and Jeff Johns. You know, the, really, this comes down to: Do you trust Jeff Johns or not? And uh, yeah. you know, like he's well, we'll co- see. He we has will, not we been will captaining see. the ship for very long. We will see. I will say that uh, Wonder Woman trailer does look really good. Definitely looks like mm-hmm. a change of tone, a change of pace for DC's universe, film universe. Well, uh, they are certainly worried, though. You can tell they're worried because suddenly they're giving you an exclusive interview to Newsweek, why Newsweek, who knows, about Shazam, which oh. is coming up <laughs> <Yes>. next year. <laughs> and so they are doing, well, actually, no, not next year, two year, 2019. They're doing damage control already for a movie <laughs> coming out in 2019. Like, it, that's running scare. It only has a star, no director, or, or even a script, but there you go. Right. Um, they're telling <laughs> us it will be great. It will be what was so, it? Is going to live in the same world as the other films, okay. but be completely different. Look, uh, I think we're going to have to face it. It, 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 it. These DC's movies are going to be the, the story of twenty four seven studio panic. Yeah, right. right through the end. Of, right through the end of it. But I mean, this is a level. That's of just how they do it. <laughs> panic I've never seen before, where you're doing damage control three years ahead of time. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but. Like, the- well, but you know funny. what? But the real reason for this is, as you know, as the disgruntled letter writer did, uh, she did touch on something. You know, the truth of the matter is, ever since Kevin Sujahara took over, there's been a dearth of hits at Warner Brothers. But it's not yeah. just the DC movies. You know, I mean, Pan, ay ay ay. You know, uh, and and um, uh, Pan was panned, and uh, you know, the movie about uh, Chris Hemsworth eating his shipmates. I mean, you know, there's a lot of things that happen. Oh. I, I do sort of wonder who thought that Chris Hemsworth eating his shipmates would be a well. That's a great movie. That's a great story. We could do a whole <laughs> podcast just about this story because it's one of my favorite stories of the sea, and uh, it's really fascinating. But uh, but maybe not the best. It's it's a fascinating for but a, maybe not a date flick. Yeah, maybe not a Fasc- date movie. Fascinating, but maybe something you make with the lowest budget possible because it's not going to sell super well. Right. All right. In the meantime, Suicide Squad did gross what four hundred sixty-five million dollars. Yeah, they think it's well. likely to make its money back, at least break even. Well, you know, that's obviously not what they intended for this movie. But Kate, what are your thoughts based on? Uh, well, what you've heard before you go well, see it, you know. Well, my own. thoughts before I go see it are that sounds like, hmm, like Batman v Superman had me really going. Oh, this is this may like make me unhappy watching it. Whereas Suicide Squad sounds like it might be dumb but fun. Uh, like, are you a Suicide that's what Squad I'm ho- fan? That's what I'm hoping for. I I am, but I am already like completely accepting of the fact that this is a completely different incarnation of Suicide Squad. And see, my major emotional investment in Suicide Squad is Amanda Waller, and by all accounts, they at least got her right. Yes, yeah, so she's good. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. like they've they've live action adaptations of Amanda Waller have previously been terrible, but this one sounds like good, even if everything else about the movie is a mess. So I'm like, okay, so I'm gonna see like, you know, an hour and a half of ridiculous cartoon violence plus Harley Quinn plus Amanda Waller. 
Like, I won't be there opening night, but sure, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, Ditto like, for me. <laughs> like, th- this is why I say that I'm picky, but I'm not that picky. Right. Because, like, Batman v Superman was the kind of thing that I was like, I don't know, not sure if want, because it seemed like it was, like, actively, like, making the characters maybe other than who they were. Right. So I was like, no, that's not my Batman. But this is like, okay, big dumb movie. Maybe I'll see it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like I mentioned, uh, again, talking about it on the beat. You know, uh, if they learn their lessons, you know, basically the difference between the first version and the second version is the first version was a Zack Snyderian film that had Killer Croc eating his own puke and, uh, and the Joker abusing Harley Quinn. So that's awesome. I feel, you know, feel good film of the summer. Um, yeah, yeah. So, that's entertainment. Right, that's, yeah, that's <laughs> entertainment. So they basically wanted to make a movie that was a little bit more uh, laugh, laugh filled, uh, or like, at least watchable. Well, not, <laughs> yes. no, not even watchable. Just, just more entertaining along the lines of, say, movies like Guardians of the Galaxy and Deadpool. So you mean like Marvel movies? <laughs> well, but yes, yes. But you know, Deadpool is Fox. Deadpool's not a Marvel Studios movie. Yes, not a Marvel Studios. Yes. But uh, but anyway, so you know, they now okay. if they learn the lesson from that, they have a stellar cast. They you know they have an amazing lineup. Uh, they have, as I pointed out, that you know one thing this movie did really well among uh, minority moviegoers. You know, among people of color. Because it has a very diverse cast. It yeah. has, you know, uh, Katana in it. It has, mm-hmm. uh, um, Will you know, Smith is Deadshot. Uh, uh, Will Smith is yeah. uh, El Smith, Diablo, yeah. although he might not yeah. be still around. But, but you know, it's like yeah. the fast. El Diablo was a little less beloved by his uh, minority film goers who are like, all we didn't get was I Carumba when it came to cliches. Well, that's true, but, but you know, but I, but this could but be the Fast aside. and the Furious. This could yeah. be DC's Fast and the Furious if yeah. they learn. I mean, and Amanda Waller, yeah. you can't and, you know, and, it, and it might help if you know one of the stars wasn't trashing the movie all the time too. Is isn't Jared Leto just trashing it everywhere? Every well, interview nuts, he gives, so, you no, know. he's being a weirdo everywhere. <laughs> so yeah. um, I mean, anyway, some, yeah, you know, he's this generation's Crispin Glover. Yeah. He, so yeah, <laughs> yeah, he. Uh, yeah, he he was even during the film like things kept leaking to the media about how he decided he was going to be a method actor while playing joker uh and doing things like giving margot robbie a live rat which is now her pet don't worry the rat's fine um <laughs> but seems a joker like thing to do yeah so um but the thing is that his character was not maybe the large role he thought it was and he still went all out. So, uh, you know, he's just being a weirdo. Yeah. Well, he's been quoted as saying that it was even misrepresented to him what his role would be. Well, I mean, probably sure they didn't really that. know what it would I'm be. I'm yeah. sure he said that. Yeah. I think he just said that he filmed a lot that was left in the cutting mm. room floor. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which, given that everybody filmed a lot in this movie that was left on the cutting room floor as part of all the reshoots and everything, yeah, it mm. does not surprise me. And also, you know, you play the Joker. He's an iconic character. You assume that he's going to be a big role, and he wasn't. Yeah. Well, all right. Yeah. All right. Well, um, more to come. <laughs> more to come. More to right. come. So, Kate, the news briefs. The briefs. Well, um, Christopher, speaking of Deathstroke, and uh, that being one of the characters in Suicide Squad, Christopher Priest. 
uh, the acclaimed black comic writer who uh, was the first to write for both DC and Marvel, is back at DC after 11 years uh, his, on Deathstroke Rebirth, uh, the first issue of which has just come out. Um, by all accounts, a good book, a great writer. We're mm-hmm. glad to have him back. Yeah. Um, we, on, saw him in, we saw him in San Diego. He was at the breakfast meetings and um, being wry and... Uh, about and ironic about being back in comics because he, he he left. I think he's I think he's actually a minister of some kind. Didn't he say that? He did. He well, that's you yeah. know his real birth name is oh, real. Pardon me. His birth name is Jim Osley. Uh, he changed his name to mm-hmm. Christopher Priest. Uh, he's an interesting guy. He's a complicated mm-hmm. man, and no one understands him. But it's a <laughs> publisher, really. Yes. There you go. Very good. <laughs> and possibly God. And a really great writer. Yes. And uh, and he's one of the few uh, African-American writers who, when they called him up and said, we want you back, he said, well, I don't want to write a black character. And they were like, okay. (laughs) So uh, more power to him. Yeah. Well, another brief. Flame Con? Oh, Flame Con. Flame Con. Coming this weekend to Brooklyn is the second annual Flame Con, the... LGBT Comic Con, uh, which was last year was a really good con and a hell of a party. Uh, it's back in bigger, more air-conditioned uh, surroundings. <laughs> yes. So Thank if you God. roasted last year, <laughs> um, don't worry. This year it's in a hotel with air conditioning. Um, and what hotel is that? Uh, the Marriott Brooklyn. The Marriott Brooklyn. Yeah, so it's in a in a, a new, very modern uh, situation. So, um, and a much bigger situation. So, yes, uh, and they are currently taking volunteers uh, who will get a free pass to the convention and a free T-shirt. So, rush right on down, and they're selling out of tickets to the um, FlameCon kickoff party. So, if you want to go to a star-spangled, all comic, all queer kickoff party. They've got it. Is that on Friday night? That is, uh, I don't remember. Yeah, you know what? I'm not sure when the party is. Remember that the 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 show opens on Saturday and Sunday. Yeah, it's a Saturday and Sunday show. They've 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 expanded to a larger space and to two days Mm -hmm. due to demand. Yes, I I was out of the. I was at a different convention last year when this was held. I know you guys went and you had nothing but glowing. Oh yeah, it was was really a fun hometown show. Delight and and and, and even though it was an odd, eccentric location in Brooklyn, it was a really great location for that. It was an amazing location that kickoff show. Um, But this is going to be even better, I'm sure, at the Merritt Brooklyn, a really modern facility, and uh, and they've got a great lineup of people. I don't know all of them, but there are some people that I do know that will be there, like Amy Reader, uh, Amy Chu's going to be there, Sophie Campbell's going to be there, uh, and actually um, James Romberg and Marguerite Van Cook, the authors of Seven Miles a Second, the um, the uh, the graphic memoir of the the late uh, AIDS activist and um, East Village artist David Wonorovich. They are going to be there, and there are two full days of programming. There's a lot of programming, and it looks really terrific. And another great thing about it, and why I say it's a real hometown show, is that they're keeping the table prices low. And so there's a really great mix of, um, you know, the big name pros and of up and comers with some like wonderful, eccentric, newbie work. 
and some outsider art stuff too. That's like it's it's underground comics. It's great. You, you should know, go, and, people. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, Chris Claremont is going to be there. Talked about uh, I think uh, Gay Pride and the X Men. So there you go. Yeah, it's got there a great go. lineup. So we yeah. will all be there. Uh, so hope to see you there. Yeah. Okay. And um, one more piece of comics news. Uh, J. Michael Straczynski has come out and acknowledged that uh, he actually, there's a reason why his comic schedule for the last, oh, over 10 years has been very erratic. And that is he has secretly been battling a degenerative eye disease. And he actually could hardly see anything and just did not want to admit it to anybody. And it was really getting in the way of his writing and um, was a terrible struggle for him. Um, and so he finally, he finally uh, got treatment and has had surgery on his eyes. And he says he's recovered a lot, but um, he's sort of celebrating his renewed vision by uh, deciding he's only going to work on what he really wants to, which is um, he's going to do some some plays and some movie screenwriting now. So he's leaving comics because he's sure. celebrating his newly sun vision in life. Well, yeah. a lot of people will say, "Don't let the door hit you on the ass on the way out." But uh, you know, uh, but you know, I kind of wonder. But I'm really glad to hear response. that is. But, but that said, uh, everybody can be very glad that his vision has been saved. Yes. Uh, that's not Absolutely. me. I'm you know, saying, I think a lot of the friction surrounding him in the comic industry. Oh yeah. Which I, to a certain degree, shared, although he loved his television work was due to the fact that he was extremely erratic. Yes. Extremely. Like, things would take vast amounts of time. Everyone was wondering what his deal was. And now we know what his deal was. And uh, it's the most sympathetic reason for not being able to make deadlines I've ever heard. Yeah. So yeah. hopefully he's, he's, he, it sounds like he is okay and much better. He has so, some new surgical yes. technique. And, um, you know, he can see again. So, so you, you know, know what, well, people, God bless him. Sometimes you don't know the whole story. Okay. Yeah, that's that's, that's, yeah. The, moral that's the real takeaway that's from this. The real moral there's there's worse things in life than you know a comic book being late. Yeah, exactly. Anyway. So, well, uh, one thing that's never late is our podcast because we do it yes. every week just for that's you, right. dear well, readers. We so. serve it up and every week. There will be more to come.